It's the ERP Confab. I'm David Essex, industry editor at TechTarget's SAP site. Like most vendors, SAP is under tremendous pressure to show that it's on top of the generative AI wave that rose up when ChatGPT made its debut in November. So it's no surprise that using AI for business was the overriding theme of SAP's recent Sapphire 2023 conference. SAP also used the show to continue pushing its sustainability cloud and S4HANA initiatives. I discussed the virtual version of the Orlando event with news writer Jim O'Donnell. Then I chat with our colleague, Brian McKenna, business applications editor at Computer Weekly about the Sapphire event that he attended in Barcelona. Jim, last week, SAP had its annual Sapphire conference in Orlando. Uh, we went to the virtual conference this year, and you've done a lot of coverage of, of some of the main news. It had a lot to do with AI, not surprisingly, and sustainability. You want to talk a little bit about uh, what you think the, the sort of the biggest news was last week? Yeah, that's right. We had to cover it virtually. So, you know, it was a little bit different. Uh, you know, I could really... Um... You couldn't dig in as deeply on some of the subjects, but as you said, sort of the two main issues that they were, uh, you know, kind of pushing from their main stage uh, keynote addresses with, of course, the the leadership of, of SAP, Christian Klein, and um, some of the other lieutenants in the, uh, the executive board were, were sustainability and uh, um, AI. For, I think, probably the, the first thing they talked a lot about was AI. They're positioning it as, I think Christian Klein in the opening keynote called it uh, AI built for business. Mm -hmm. um, so they're, I guess they're trying to distinguish it from the myriad of other AI announcements that everybody's coming out with now. You know, I think in a certain sense, they've been, you know, they've been working on AI for a long time, like, you know, a lot of the other enterprise vendors have been, had have their own sort of AI technology that they've been working on, right? I'm sure you've You've known that from from covering uh, SAP for a while too, but I think this whole sort of uh, explosion of generative AI and as you know, we've all seen the uh, you know the announcements that every company is coming out with, you know, um, some version, some you know, use case for AI, some some embedded. So I think they were I wouldn't say they were forced to announce this stuff, but I think they felt you know some sort of pressure to to devote you know a lot of the attention on AI because that's what people are are sort of expecting and that's what people are looking for. And their approach is um, you know as I said they've been developing their, their own AI, but this generative AI that they were were talking about at, at Software was uh, a lot around their partnerships. So they've been you know they've been looking to use partnerships to further their sort of their AI tech. And the big ones that they uh, they brought out at Sapphire were um, was a partnership with uh, Microsoft. Right, and he had uh, Satya Nadella uh, was not on stage live, but they had a recorded message with him, you know, having a brief interview with uh, with uh, Christian Klein, and they're kind of they're embedding um, Microsoft Copilot AI into uh, certain SAP platforms. First one, one that we talked about was um, they're going to embed uh, Microsoft Copilot into SAP SuccessFactors, which is kind of their their cloud. Uh, HR platform, you know, they, they showed how, uh, you know, HR managers can sort of use the co-pilot AI to, uh, to generate one use case was generating specific uh, job uh, descriptions. So you have all this like information about, you know, what uh, a company might want in something what they want to hire for a job they want, but, you know, they said, you know, it's sort of the traditional way of, of making a job description is the HR manager will 
you know, take a bunch of stuff and it's not always really appropriate. They're always kind of more general than they need to be. So they said, um, you know, that uh, they can, you know, use this to have like more highly uh, developed, more specific job descriptions that will, you know, um, lead to more efficient ways to to hire people um, for the jobs that they need. You know, another thing was um, Copilot embedded um, into a learning system through success factors. So employees can like uh, sort of plot their, their professional development a little more um, specifically that, uh, you know, they can ask Copilot to, you know, come up with the courseware or the skills they might need to, um, you know, to further uh, whatever their ambitions might be further. So none of these were exactly mind-bendingly, you know, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, use cases that were, are, you know, useful, but like not, not vital to, you know, uh, companies, but they, they do help people do, you know, specific jobs by taking a lot of drudge work out and sort of pointing things, pointing things in the direction where they could be more efficient and, and go further. Uh, and there were other use cases, but I think that was the main things that they really talked about in the in the first, um, you know, the first uh, keynotes. One thing I noticed in going over the announcements of the AI tools uh, is that it is a mix. Many of the much of the stuff they were talking about coming out in the fourth quarter of this year. So there was a bit of a demoware feel for a good chunk of the uh, I thought the keynotes. Um, yeah, but. They definitely have some of these things available now, uh, including, for example, intelligent invoice conversion, which they say is for procurement teams, help them onboard new suppliers. Right. AI can extract the information about the supplier from the invoices. They say that's available now. Uh, and there's there were a couple of other capabilities that are, in fact, available. But it was it was quite a mix. And I totally agree with your take that they're under pressure. So many companies, pretty much every tech company is under pressure to show what they're doing with generative AI because it's it's just been so mainstream. It's been on 60 Minutes. It's been on the nightly news. And so to some degree, this is stuff that was in the works and a lot of it felt kind of hurry up. Like we're going to announce this, we're going to announce this intention right. and we're working on it, but it's coming yes. supposedly in a few months. Yeah. And I totally agree. And, and some of the uh, the ob observations I heard were, um, you know, that there uh, there is sort of this gap between what they've announced and, and you know, the clarity on when this all this stuff is going to be available. Right. Mm -hmm. um, you know, as you said, you know, they did they did, um, you know, they sort of announced a lot of things, but there was not real clear sort of. Um, you know, there were no clear dates on when any of this stuff was going to be available. As you said, some of it might be available now. Um, some is is coming further down the road or by the end of the year. So, you know, I think customers are just going to have to, you know, pay attention and, and uh, you know, kind of um, keep up if they're interested in, in uh, any of this stuff that they'll just have to make sure that they're keeping up with their with their release schedules and, and um, when when all this stuff is going to be available. And I will say, too, that I think that they're, you know, um, there does seem to be, uh, you know, a couple of the observers I talked to said there's, there's, you know, who are, who were talking with the, some of the customers actually at the event, and uh, they said that there, there did seem to be a kind of a disconnect between this AI hype and um, what's available and what customers are really looking for, right? You know. Yeah, um, you wrote a whole piece on that. I read that. That was one of your at least three pieces you've written so far to come out of the right. conference. I think it was uh, the analyst uh, Joshua Greenbaum had said he talked to um, some of the customers who, 
you know, they had AI um, and him and the other analyst, John Reed, had uh, had in it um, uh, a discussion with um, ASUG, which is the America's uh, SAP user group, which are they're sort of the co um, you know co-hosts of of Sapphire, so they always have their own you know uh, sort of events and sessions. And um, they had a, a you know kind of a quick poll of some of the attendees from from ASUG and. Um, AI was sort of pretty far down the list of, of priorities of uh, what uh, those customers were looking for. And they, um, you know, they said they were more interested in things like, you know, data integrity and data integration and sort of data migration. You know, that was that was really nothing that was spoken of at all in any of sort of the main sessions. Now, you can get all kinds of that information, you know, uh, in in uh, Sapphire, right? You can go and you can, there's plenty of sessions. There's plenty of like, um, you know, product booths and product demos. So the information is definitely there, but um, there was sort of no like acknowledgement of it from, from the main stage, which is, you know, it's kind of odd because it's something that, you know, I think that most customers are probably, and um, um, SAP had released um, this platform called SAP Datasphere, probably about two, two so, four so months that. ago. Yeah, um, which is a data integration platform, and you know it's it's really you know it, it's kind of um, you know it would 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 expect that you know if data integration is is a top priority for a lot of the customers, that it might have been you know fe featured more prominently, and you know it didn't seem that it was, so that was kind of interesting. You know the what you just mentioned in your in your piece about the customer reactions and what the analysts uh, Greenbaum and Reed were saying about what they're hearing from customers. What really jumped out at me again was this, that there's more interest among customers and I think more pain points about integration. And as you said, data, especially removing data silos, data silos. Mm -hmm. And that stuff, that has been an issue for years and years for a lot of these other emerging technologies we've been hearing about, like workflows, uh, mm -hmm. process automation. Um, it happens in the HR world, the HCM world, where you're trying to relate financials to talent information and employee, you know, other employee data. Yep. And you can't do a lot of this stuff unless customer, customer experience, it's a, it's a big aspect of that too. And you can't do a lot of these gee whizzy things unless your systems are integrated, especially your legacy systems. But in some cases it's maybe multiple vendors, not even very old systems, just, yep. you know, relatively new systems that don't talk to each other very well. So what does AI depend on, right? It depends on having good data. So you can't even do all this, as you said, the gee whizzy AI stuff if your data is is uh, not in good shape. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, that's that's got to be at the heart of it. And, you know, as I said, I'm sure that, you know, if anyone was really looking for that data integration, you know, information uh, about SAP data sphere, um, you know, the, that type of information is definitely available. And, and one customer that I did speak to, um, you know, said that that was an issue for them and they did find, you know, they, they had, you know, several sessions that they went to about, you know, about data um, at Sapphire. So it, it's there. It's just, it wasn't really featured uh, very prominently in the, uh, you know, in the sort of the official uh, sessions. And, I think you know, we've just provided ourselves a, a nice segue because um, one of the things that you and I've talked about, you've written a lot uh, for our new Tech Target Sustainability and ESG site. It's right. a topic we both follow fairly closely with some of our colleagues, many of our colleagues. And in that world, collecting the data to do the reporting, also to get true control over your use of resources, especially energy and buildings is a classic one, that that's right. been an issue for years. And it's been an integration problem 
for years. And so there is there is some movement and also some new branding from yes. SAP in that regard that came out of Sapphire. So as we said, that was sort of the other, um, I would say the, the other big issue that they talked about, certainly on the on the first day when they kind of like set the stage for what their their goals are. Um, and uh, they they kind of um, they have this concept, and it's not really a product that I can figure out, but it, it's a concept called the green ledger, mm -hmm. right? And and so what this is is um, you know treating carbon emissions counting, treating sustainability uh, data accounting the same way you would treat um, financial accounting. They have a ledger. You know, if you're you're in finance, you use you collect all the data from your you know, from your accounts and it goes into a ledger and, you know, it balances out. And um, so the, this concept of the green ledger takes all the data that's related to your sustainability that will come from your whole value chain, from your supply chain, you know, from the, you know, from the carbon you use in your buildings, from the, you know, we all know about the scope one, scope two, and scope three emissions, which are, you know, extremely complicated. It's very, uh, you know, hard to, to get a grip on that. Um, so um, you will eventually end up with this this um, so-called green ledger, and I think that's I, I don't know if anyone else uses that term. I don't know if it's a you know something that they just just cooked up, but um, the concept is the same that it, that sustain, sustainability data will be treated as essentially as financial data. Now there's reasons for this because there are you know regulations that are coming in from. You know, certainly more in Europe, there's there's a lot of uh, sort of regulatory regimes that are they're coming, uh, they're already there in Europe and more coming line in the United States, uh, in North America. Well, certainly, uh, I'm not sure what you know Canada is doing, but the U.S. You know, will will have um, uh, SEC regulations regarding um, sustainability and carbon um, reporting are going to be coming online. Mm -hmm. So there are these these reasons why companies do have to start thinking about this now. Uh, and um, so, as I said, the, the green ledger was it's sort of a concept, but there are a couple products that they did announce uh, at Sapphire mm -hmm. um, that will sort of integrate that data, that will collect that data and allow it to be shared. And that will go into this green ledger, however form that takes. Um, one of them is an update for um, a product that they they call now it's a SAP product footprint sustainability management. it became sustainability footprint I think another yes, name right. change so <laughs> yes right sustainability footprint management so that's going to allow companies to sort of calculate and manage all that carbon data from their from their value chain now how they do that I I'm not sure but this will give them the you know the ability to to have a place for it to go. And um, the other one, which is a new product, uh, is SAP Sustainability Data Exchange, which is kind of a, a network exchange product, which allows companies to share the data that they have in their system with their suppliers, partners, uh, presumably customers. Um, and what's interesting is these these products will be available as part of, so they're all based on uh, S4 HANA cloud, right? So they're cloud products based on S4 HANA. And they will be part of uh, Rise with SAP, which is uh, sort of the program to move kind of the, the more the, the existing customer base into the cloud. We've talked about that a lot in the past, mm -hmm. what they've done. And also with Grow with SAP, which is their new program to kind of move more. It's more centered on sort of uh, smaller to midsize companies uh, to move to, in particular, the S4 on a public cloud edition. Um, so 
having these sustainability, um, you know, um, capabilities or products available in Rise with SAP and Grow with SAP is is kind of an interesting uh, approach. I think that um, you know it it, um, it may actually kind of uh, provide one more incentive. I was I would say for companies or one more use case for them to say maybe we'll we'll start to you know adopt the the cloud now because we are going to have to do this you know, sustainability accounting, and this is a way for us to do that, so. Great way to connect to your suppliers and your partners. Exactly. Right. Over the cloud. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, Jim, in your piece about um, the sustainability products, uh, Michael McComb of SAP was quoted. Did you interview him? I'm just curious, or was he? Was this I did, him? yes. Yeah. Yeah. I thought he had a great, really tight summary and, and kind of honest um uh, about what's going on with the sustainability data. He said, this approach is aimed at increasing the data accuracy and granularity, right. and moving from these top-down averages toward a bottom-up approach that's similar to the financial flows through an organization. You wouldn't estimate an invoice, for example. That's a great summary of, I think, what's been going on and what the huge challenge is, though, because right. there's, there's way better systems for entering the financial information and having that bubble up and, you know, roll up as they say uh, to a top line number. And then you spit out, you have a monthly close and quarterly reports if you're a public company usually, but with this, with the sustainability data, there's just such a huge challenge getting the accurate data in at the grassroots level. Pun yes. intended. Yeah, and that's that's kind of the um, that is the uh, you know the way that um, I I think uh, companies have reported on their sustainability um, up till up till now probably still now is they've used sort of industry averages they've used sort of estimates so it's almost all been estimated because there's been no sort of incentive to do it any other way you're you, you know they're they've been kind of doing it basically to to show that they're more green um, you know to, to kind of um, you know to uh, answer customer demand, of course, answer their employees demand that they are, you know, being more responsible companies. But of course, we know it's all it's subject to greenwashing, you can say anything you want in your estimate. So as you said, this is a way for, you know, for because I think they are you're the, the actual the the auditing of it, and the uh, reporting of it is going to be more like financial accounting auditing. So that's going to be more, um, you know, something that companies are going to have to be paying attention to more. So you're not going to be able to use those estimates anymore. You're not going to be able to just, you know, throw any number out that you want. You are going to have to get that, as as you said, that granularity into it. It'll be really fascinating to see how it works out, how it's really done. One of the one of the phrases that crossed my mind in reading these things and watching some of these keynotes was, "The devil is in the details." So it'll be interesting to see how soon we get a fairly complete case study of someone who's willing to talk to us uh, about right. how they did it. They really did do it. They really do have granular. And it probably won't be every part. Maybe it'll just be the building energy use uh, at first. Right. You know, uh, some some things are hard to really hard to collect, like local food producers. You know, there's certain yeah. kinds of data that especially hard to digitize. Having been through the, the Orlando Sapphire with Barcelona to come, and we'll hear from uh, Brian McKenna a little later right. about that conference. Where do you think this leaves SAP, both competitively, like in the cloud and AI wars, and just as a company? You, you've done some award-winning coverage of their history over now, like 51 years, I think it is. How do you think this positioned them or didn't position them 
in the in the big sweep of things. I think the AI stuff is is remains to be seen, you know, because I think that whole market is is very open right now, and and it it depends on. I think a lot of what uh, you know, what customers will be looking for. I think they, um, you know, I think that was. I want to don't want to call it a sideshow, but I really don't think it's something that their customers are are, as we said, is their top priority. I mean, I think their customers are, you know, still looking for reasons to move to the cloud. They're looking for, you know, uh, help in that. They're looking for, um, you know, re, you know. Um, Basically, the, the the support and as we talked about the, the the data, you know, integration parts of it. So, I think you know, just from that point of view, I don't think the AI stuff really matters all that much. You know, they still got the the problems that they they have had with moving their you know enormous sort of um, you know still on premises customer base to to the cloud. But, you know, programs like Rise with SAP and Grow, um, you know, we didn't hear a lot, a ton about that from like the mainstay session, but it was always part of it. So I think that from what they, what they say that those programs are growing, so to speak, <laughs> and, um, you know, they are, they are helping to move the needle as far as that goes. So I think that's still their challenge on the sustainability front. I think those products are definitely, um, I think they, they are hitting sort of at the right time. And I think that is a very big opportunity of growth for them. Mm -hmm. um, I think the market is coming around for that. They've been talking about it for a long time, you know, and I think, uh, you know, 10 years ago, maybe um, people would have thought that they're not, you know, it's not something they have to think about, but I do think, you know, customers are thinking about that right now. So I think they, they're pretty well positioned as far as that goes. Yeah. Maybe um, the, their history in uh, manufacturing is, they're, they're strong and exactly. strong because that's where a lot of the intensive resource use is all through the supply chain, you know, the subcontractors and then the raw material suppliers. Anyway, yep. you, I think you were about to say something. Yeah, else. well, the, the other sort of other thing that we didn't touch on that I think is going to be very big for them going forward is, um, and this was something they did announce um, uh, at um, Sapphire was the uh, um, SAP business networks for industries. So they're going to be, you know, they have the SAP business network, which is their sort of their combination of their procurement networks and their, um, you know, their um, manufacturing networks and their logistics networks. So they all they combined those a few years ago into the business network. Now they're coming out with business with business networks for particular industries like um, life sciences or automotive or um, you know retail or oil and gas. So they're going to come out with like networks where companies can sort of share all that data and can kind of, um, you know, um, you know, work together outside of the enterprise. So, you know, I think the future of ERP is, is going to be less like the enterprise resource planning, but more like maybe network resource planning yeah. where, you know, you're going to see that you're, you'll have to move outside of your, of your, uh, your company sort of um, boundaries. It occurs to me that this sounds almost identical to the industry cloud concept that IDC has been banging a drum for for years now. Yeah, I think it's very similar it. to that. Yeah, yeah, IDC directions that we also usually attend uh, together. Um, yeah. I feel like they've been banging that drum for four or five years now, maybe. Kind of lost track yes. of time. Yeah, and, and SAP's cool been talking about it for a while too. Yeah. I mean, they yeah. you know they've got their industry cloud and other ERP vendors. You know, they they have their industry sort of. Um, you know, their cloud, uh, industry clouds. So I know Infor does and IFS and, uh, yeah. you know, I'm sure Oracle does too. So, 
you know, it is, it's, it's definitely a concept that's out there for sure. It is. Well, Jim, it's been great to talk to you as always, and it's good to attend, albeit virtually, another Orlando Sapphire. Yes, thanks, Dave. Thank you. Brian, you attended the Sapphire in Barcelona. You went in person, unlike Jim and I, who uh, attended the virtual Orlando conference. What were your general impressions in terms of attendance and, and sort of the flavor of it? That's right, David. I went to the European version of Sapphire, uh, what I've been calling calling Euro Sapphire, at the Fira de Barcelona, you know, conference venue and um, exhibition venue in Barcelona. It was very well attended, about 5,000 attendees, I think, officially from 3,200 customers representing 1,800 organizations. Yeah, so so basically about 5,000 people milling around uh, the conference, which is a decent number. And yeah, and it was very kind of busy and buzzy and, and so on. And uh, it's unlike last year, it had Christian Klein and Julia White on stage and uh, Scott Russell, their uh, customer success executive board member, did the customer keynote on the second day. Last year, they sort of segmented European events, yeah, like Northern Europe, and I think Germany, and I think Southern Europe. Last mm. year, for us in Northern Europe, it was in The Hague. So this was a bit bigger than that, and it was, mm -hmm. you know, pan-European, as it were. I mean, the major announcements were really those that, uh, you know, that were made at uh, Sapphire in Orlando to do with um, uh, SAP's take on artificial intelligence, the embedding of artificial intelligence across all its applications, mm -hmm. some of its generative AI stuff. There was one customer announcement that was kind of conceptually separate from the conference, um, but was at the same time, and that was a tie up with uh, SAP, IBM and Diageo, which is interesting because, of course, SAP and Diageo had, had a bit of a legal contretemps a few years ago. And there's a link to that in my very brief story about that, uh, about that contract. Diageo not on stage. Um, the, the customers they had on stage were from a kind of Philips spin-out called Versuni, who make air fryers. And, you know, Swarovski, the jewellery company, mm -hmm. And they've both been SAP customers for a long time. Uh, in fact, uh, Swarovski, the contract, we found out the original contract was signed by Hassel Plattner himself 40 years ago. So these are not new customers for, for SAP, which is maybe kind of interesting. One of our favorite analysts, Holger Muller, said in, a, in an aside to me that, um, you know, where is the the big new S for HANA cloud customer up on stage. I know that's something that um, you've made note of as well. I have. It seems that over the years that they've had S for HANA and they've been emphasizing S for HANA cloud, that they have been vague about who has really gone to the SaaS version and who is on perhaps on-premises S for HANA or has effectively the private cloud version, the name of which escapes me right now. It's interesting that somebody as astute as Holger Mueller would make that observation. It has been quite some time, and you have to wonder 
what is the delay? My understanding of it as, a, as still as a layman, but as a, an informed observer is that the full SaaS version, like a lot of SaaS ERP products, doesn't have all the functionality that certainly an on-premises business suite would have. And so I think some companies, unless they're doing a greenfield implementation, where this is their first ERP, maybe in a division, or just entirely as a company, their very first ERP, anyone who's trying to make the transition is probably concerned about what they lose and what kind of data transfer, what kind of data conversion issues are involved. I think probably you and Jim have probably discussed SAP Business AI and the mm -hmm. green ledger because sustainability. Mm -hmm. I mean, to be fair to Christian Klein, we, we remember that right from the beginning of his tenure, he really has banged the drum for sustainability. Um, so the green ledger was quite prominent as something to be mm -hmm. mentioned at the event. Um, sustainability is also a big, uh, one of the big um, focuses for their chief strategy officer who I had some time with as well, along with another uh, journalist colleague, you know, Sebastian Steinhäuser. Signavio and Bus Business Network are another two of his, you know, things that he, he looks after as well as the general strategy thing. Uh, I also sat down with um, uh, one, an SAP executive who's known very well to both of us, Sven Denikin. And Sven has changed role because he was s for hana for quite a few years. He's now um, industries and customer experience. So he's brought together industries and customer experience this year under his kind of purview, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, um, there seems to know. be, certainly we've noticed at Tech Target that in the broader ERP universe, if you go beyond the core stuff, like certainly financials and uh, even, you know, uh, procurement and human resources, that customer experience seems to be where a lot of the focus is lately, a lot of the interest. It makes sense that Sven Denikin, who I always had found as to be a real straight shooter and enjoyed talking to him, I guess it makes sense. I'm not surprised to hear that he's had that shift in role. And actually, customer relationship management is one of the the kind of big areas on this um, this diagram, this kind of mm -hmm. what we call, what I'm, I think they call the sunrise visual, you know, that has the business technology platform mm -hmm. underneath and then cloud ERP, then industry specific and sustainability. And then it has HCM, business mm -hmm. networking and customer relationship management, uh, uh, basically line of business, right? Big emphasis on line of business. And then just beyond that, ecosystem solutions and then AI-powered business processes, which I think does give you quite a good picture of where, where SAP is is trying to position itself with the BTP underneath, with a big emphasis that it can't do everything everywhere. So it's um, at, this, at Sapphire, they were emphasizing the relationship with Google, with Microsoft, especially on the AI front, Google with this SAP data sphere which does seem to be quite important to them it does so, yeah. yeah i'm a bit like uh, oracle as well because oracle cloud world there's a big emphasis on working with other people you know our oracle can't do everything by itself and sap is saying something very similar yeah we um, i've been noticing that and jim and i were commenting that in our earlier discussion that they've been gradually doing this over the years where they've been putting bringing the partners out but these are some pretty high-powered partners well the the microsoft 
partnership that was emphasized, you know, using the chat GPT related functionality uh, in the co-pilot AI, uh, and then with Office 365. And they had a relationship, I think, with some integrations between SAP systems and Office 365 that goes back to the previous year. So the way that a SAP is trying to get more and more tentacles into the office systems and the business systems. Speaking of Office, formerly of Microsoft, uh, Julia White was alongside Christian on Christian Klein on stage. She made an interesting remark. I thought, she, well, not just me, not just me thinking this, but other people too. She said that in the context of on-premise, you can be loosely coupled with your partners, but with cloud, it's more like a marriage. Hmm. Interesting. You know, yeah. the relationships have to be deeper. Huh. Um, which I thought was quite a quite an interesting remark. Certainly, they are emphasizing um, their work with other vendors. Yeah. Just coming back to Sven Denikin, I mean, generative AI, Gen AI, utterly ubiquitous at Sapphire and also at ServiceNow's event, which I attended the previous week in Las Vegas. Generative AI was absolutely, uh, you couldn't miss it. What Sven said is uh, the speed of evolution of generative AI. I mean, yes, this has been a long time coming, but the speed of evolution is breathtaking. He said the hype will go away. Uh, and ultimately, this isn't about efficiency so much as proficiency. He said cost and security often get forgotten. But, you know, it was a major, it was a major thing at the event. So Ulf Brackman, Vice President of Artificial Technology, um, I listened to him in a in a Q and A session. He has a like a lot of these German guys been with SAP a long time. He worked on the Leonardo team that we all remember so fondly. I asked him, you know, is this an inflection point? Is this a paradigmatic shift? Is this an iPhone moment? And he said yes. Uh, I suppose yeah. he would say that. But my sense from um, watching the Orlando conference is that. Not surprisingly, I guess, they, they had to kind of do a hurry up shift to generative AI in terms of their emphasis, because they had other AI things going on. And a good yeah. part of their story that they put out in the announcements was some of the older stuff. A lot of it was the newer stuff, the generative AI, some of which is here now, but most of which seems to be coming soon, not very long from now, but later in the year. Yeah, it's like everyone has had to suddenly shift gears and, and get on board the generative AI wave, I would say. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it is, I mean, I was speaking to Nick Patience from 451, who was also there, uh, another analyst, and he, he's he been following AI for years and years and years, and he, he says he's never seen anything like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, we don't know how it's going to shake out. We, we've noticed in this at Tech Target too, like a lot of companies, we're having to figure out how to use it ourselves. And, and, and it's scary at the same time for many people. And it's exciting for some of the same people and others. But it's like one of these things that we, we're in it now. We're in the early stages and we won't know what it turns out to be until it turns out to be whatever it's going to, to be. To be that, whatever that thing yeah. is. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but and to be fair to SAP, they have been investing seriously and working seriously on artificial intelligence for a long time. Yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was seemingly jokingly referring to Leonardo, and ironically, the hotel where we stayed was called Leonardo. I, did, 
I think that was maybe a coincidence. Yeah. Other than a deliberate thing. So Leonardo hasn't fully disappeared from the <laughs> from the SAP ecosystem in a sense. And their vocabulary, yeah. So I think those are probably my top lines on mm-hmm. on the European Sapphire. Um, it was it seemed pretty good. It's a big emphasis on um, customer outcomes. The SAP isn't just trying to sell people technology. It is involved with uh, the success of its customers. Not so much doing consultancy because I put that to uh, Sebastian. Uh, the chief strategy officer, who's ex-BCG, he's an ex-strategy consultant, the chief strategy officer, but he said, no, it's more like guiding customers. It's not consulting with them. You know, because they, they have all their partners for that, right? You know, Deloitte, uh, whoever, the whole kind of list of, 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 those, of those people who work with them. But yeah, that, I'd say that was, about, that was about it. It's probably fairly similar to sapphire in the us mm-hmm. um it wasn't as cold apparently everyone said that the the air conditioning at orlando was everyone was just freezing <laughs> i had not heard that that is some good color there brian that you just provided i did not have the opportunity to experience that now i was not in orlando as you know yes. i was in las vegas for service mm-hmm. now's event service now led of course by the former Chief Executive Officer of SAP, uh, Bill McDermott, who was looking, I have to say, was looking very rock and roll. He had a very expensive looking leather jacket to go with his shades. And ServiceNow, there are some similarities there. Again, generative AI was was very much being spoken about, perhaps in quite hyperbolic terms in terms of what Bill was saying. Interesting to to see some of the similarities. Um, I understand they have a program, I think it's either for partners, maybe you know more about it, called Rise Up. Um, funny funny that that word rise should be used when his former company, SAP, has rise with SAP. Yeah, well, it, was Bill, it was Bill's idea. I mean, yeah. rise, rise Up. Um, yeah. Rise Up is more about um, upskilling people. Mm-hmm. I think the number is something like a million people to be to be scaled up on the trained in the ServiceNow platform. You know, ServiceNow being, um, you know, was originally has its origins in ITSM and the kind of cloud delivery of that. But they've expanded from that. It's one of these cases of uh, landing in IT and then expanding to other business functions as opposed to the other way around which tends to give corporate IT a bit of a headache. And they've had some great expansion. I, I noticed in your article from the Knowledge Conference, you you noted, I think it was the previous year's fiscal year, tremendous. Yeah, they've had um, they've had very good growth. Over 20%, yeah. as I recall, from, from your piece, um, at least yeah. in a particular year. Yeah, so they're... They're probably on the on the verge of you know vying with SAP Oracle and Salesforce as an enterprise software mm-hmm. um, company. It's quite an amazing story, really, um, when you think about it. We were certainly aware of them, you know, let's say ten years ago. But to go from which, which is fair to say, is a, is a niche to have thought of ways to expand it and to convince customers to buy into it. Uh, they had to deliver something. Uh, you can tell that story and have good chartware, as I've been calling it lately, uh, 
only for a year or two, and then um, you know people will wise up to whether it, whether the story makes sense or not, and and apparently it does, and it does seem well situated for this world of, um, well, as Julia White was referring to the multiple cloud products, uh, you know, combination of on premises and uh, and cloud applications that can all come into a portal essentially. On yeah. Service now. Yeah, yeah. I think they are partners. Mm -hmm. I mean, like. They all seem to be partners now. They do. Um, how does Bill McDermott describe ServiceNow? It's he's got a phrase for it. And Bill McDermott, you know, describes ServiceNow as as the intelligent platform for end-to-end -end digital transformation. Yeah, he was very hyperbolic on stage. It has to be said, Bill, the exponential enterprise, and he thinks there's going to be kind of massive technological change over the next year and a half the likes of which we've never seen. They're partnering with uh, NVIDIA. Which, which just had is, great earning results and yeah, brought the NASDAQ yeah. up almost on its own, according to what, what I saw in the business press yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, again, very much driven by generative, the whole generative AI mm -hmm. explosion. I think every year when we chat about Sapphire, I like to ask, where does it put SAP in its competitive situation with the likes of Oracle and other ERP vendors and also other enterprise app vendors, certainly like Salesforce. And where does it put them in terms of their recent challenges and their 51-year history now? Kind of a big question and maybe a little unfair to ask, but it seems like it makes sense to do an assessment since the ball does move forward to some degree every year at Sapphire. I think I'd say that it looks a bit different now to, to three to five years ago. I mean, that, that diagram that we talked about with the business technology platform underneath and with the, you know, the AI, embedded AI running on the top and the big emphasis on lines of business. Mm -hmm. uh, Christian Klein in his keynote, he probably did a similar thing in Orlando, but emphasized, well, you know, this is all about uh, SAP and its customers working together. And the personas that he talked about were, you know, chief people officer, chief financial officer, uh, supply chain, IT, but IT with the CFO and so on. Yeah, very much kind of looking at line of business and not just IT. And it's, so that looks different. It kind of looks a bit, maybe a bit fresher. Even the, the two of them as leaders, uh, Julia White and Christian Klein, look kind of he looks more kind of composed and assured than he did when he first took over. Feels a bit younger, feels a bit fresher. And they, they seem to leave the event in, in quite good heart. You know, the celebration event in a way was very down to earth because all they did was they uh, booked out some beachfront bars in Barcelona. So all the kind of customers and uh, partners and it's so a tough, on. It's a tough job, but somebody has to do it. I would have had a very jolly had a very jolly time. You know, that might seem trivial, but it sort of yeah. tells you something about the, you know, the kind of uh the social value, if you like, yeah. of, of the SAP ecosystem. Yeah. Everyone had a everyone had a good time, you know, it didn't feel too corporate. Christian well, Klein seemed very relaxed on stage. More so than um, before. He was, you know, it's gotta be a hard job. We commented on that when he first took over, you know, that he was relatively young and but this is this was a, a, a deliberate move on the part of Hassel Plotner and the other supervisory board members to to finally make the generational shift 
probably out of necessity, but it is also time for the within the company to to hand over the reins. And um, Christian Klein certainly seems to have grown into the role. I like your take on where this puts SAP. It, it occurs to me that it is in line with what analysts like Gartner and others have been predicting for years. And sometimes you wonder if it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, you know, the, and with the symbiotic relationship that a lot of the vendors have with some of the main thought leaders and consultants, both in the analyst community and in the in the more brass tacks consulting world, like with PwC and EY and the others, that cloud is necessarily breaking apart monolithic ERP. Uh, no one's going to sell you one, let's call it a box, that does all the things you need in theory to run your company, that it's inevitably a multi-vendor world and still with a mix, maybe more so than SAP would like, of on-premises and full SaaS cloud and then the sort of hybrid cloud. Uh, and that's that's the world that was predicted, and SAP is living in it and 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 adapting to it and and in a way that, you know, they they've clearly made some major inroads with the business technology platform, and they really, really trying to make it happen. Yet I would also say that it's still of a bit of an uphill climb for them and everyone else to take the customer with them too. It's one thing to sort of tell this story. And it's another thing to get people to come with you. Uh, and I think if I can maybe just that. say, fine, offer one one final thing as well on the sustainability front. I think they deserve a lot of credit for the emphasis they've put upon that in their Sapphire events and so on. But at the end of the day, they do have a lot of on-premise software running businesses across those 25 industries. So it's not all cloud. And by virtue of that, their carbon footprint of the SAP universe, not just SAP itself, but its customers, has to be quite high because it's not all cloud. I would agree. And then even, even in the cloud, there's, you know, there's increasing awareness of what the big data centers um, call for in terms of water, not just... And that's what someone like the CEO of NetSuite, Evan Goldberg, would definitely say. Mm -hmm. I mean, I said to him earlier this year in an interview, SAP has a very strong story on sustainability. And um, he practically laughed in my face because he said, well, you know, NetSuite, we're cloud completely, 100%. So by definition, <laughs> we, you know, uh, we're doing a better job. Right. There are efficiencies. I would imagine even with the big data centers related to the, the big cloud hyperscaler providers, and even I would, you know, presumably the, the SaaS applications that run on top of that, that there are still efficiencies. It's probably still better to have th have things consolidated in that way on a cloud system than to have many more local systems on premises. Uh, I would I would say that they probably are energy savings. My overall take would be to say it just seems a bit seems a bit fresher and um, mm -hmm. a bit more vibrant maybe than it was a. Uh, before COVID times, but that that may just be a reflection of the fact that we've pulled out of the COVID period, and we're all we're all going back to conferences in person again. It's a celebratory time, I guess. People are relieved to be, as far as we know, mostly over COVID. Well, on that cheery note, Brian, um, this is probably place to end the podcast. I thank you as always for a great conversation. No, well, thank you so much for for having me on again. It's been a while. It has been. <laughs>